0: Welcome to ILTV's Israel Daily, I'm Aaron Porras. And before we begin, I want to again remind you not to forget about our all-new streaming platform, ILTV+, available now on every app store and at ILTV.tv. Now coming up in today's newscast, Jerusalem changing course. Israeli ministers now calling on foreign donors to increase their aid for the Palestinians. Meantime, the PA explicitly rewarding the violence and riots against Israeli civilian communities. And finally, biblical history coming to life in ancient Hellenistic ruin uncovered just ahead of the Hanukkah holiday. All right, now our first topic tonight, Be careful what you wish for. Largely at Israel's behest, the international community cutting off hundreds of millions of dollars in aid to the Palestinian Authority, Israel demanding that would-be donors withhold their funding over the Palestinian leadership's continued salary payments to convicted terrorists, and Israel likewise withholding PA tax revenues equal in amount to these salaries. But now, as Ramallah is facing an acute financial crisis that could, quote, threaten both the PA and the region as a whole. Israeli ministers are calling on donor countries to reverse course. According to the United Nations, the PA's budget deficit soon set to reach upwards of $1.36 billion, this as foreign aid cut from over $480 million in 2019 to less than $35 million in the same period of 2021. Meantime, with bills overdue, Israel's national electricity company initiating controlled blackouts across the West Bank. The U.N. special coordinator for the Middle East peace process explaining further that quote, it's increasingly difficult for the PA to cover minimum expenditures, let alone make critical investments in their economy and the Palestinian people, end quote. Therefore, Israeli regional cooperation minister from the Meretz party, Isa Wifrej, shifting policy and meeting with both PA and foreign world leaders, asking for foreign contributions to resume. The move's not entirely altruistic, however. Frege arguing that Israel and the PA are a single economic unit, so, quote, no one's doing a favor for the other. This serves both sides, and a strong PA will benefit Israel, end quote. Also, to that end, Frege reportedly set to offer a number of financial incentives to the PA. For one, he's pressuring the PA to take advantage of the benefits offered through the Abraham Accords. But reports are also suggesting that both the Paris Protocols as well as VAT and customs collection systems could be overhauled for the benefit of the PA's dwindling coffers. Now, while Israel looking to help the PA refill its coffers and avoid economic collapse, arguments for sustaining financial pressures mounting again. For one, the PA insisting that it will never end its pay-for-slave policy. And now, the Palestinian Authority explicitly rewarding the residents of the village of Beitah for their often violent and destructive anti-Israel activities. Here to discuss, editor with Honest Reporting, Akiva von Konigsfeld. Thank you so much for being with us, Akiva. Now, you know, tell, me, tell us a Thank little bit about... Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about this award ceremony.
1: So, on Wednesday, the PA-controlled Yasser Arafat Foundation awarded its annual achievement award to the West Bank Village of Beta, and um, they, they got this award because of their popular resistance against Israel. So as, as part of this award, they received a $25,000 prize from uh, the PA's prime minister, Mohamed and he's also on the board of this Yasser Arafat Foundation. Mm. So these, these so-called resistance units from Beta that has also have also been uh, receiving support from the PA, they have terrorized Jewish communities in the West Bank already for over 150 days. Um, according to our data, between May and August this year, they burned over 100,000 tires while the PA blames Israel for climate change. And they, they, hereby they seriously damaged the environment and they create a health threat to both Arab and Jewish residents of the West Bank. Who, who? Uh, and during those yeah. same yeah no during ahead. those same uh, protests they also burned swastikas combined with stars of Davids and they vowed to literally burn Israelis alive. Um, and they said they also set a dole a flame of a uh, Orthodox a stereotypical Orthodox Jew.
0: They burned an effigy. Well, so okay so yeah. who, who else was a contender for this Arafat prize
1: So other nominees included uh, social organizations NGO, NGOs youth organizations but apparently this this PA controlled um, award ceremony thought it was a good idea to reward terrorism over these these praiseworthy initiatives you
0: know Maybe we can speak a little bit more about, you know, Beitah's quote-unquote good deeds, you know, the damages done to the environment, to to individuals, to property, uh, because I understand that they've also adopted, and you touched on this for a moment, they've adopted certain tactics uh, from Hamas activists along the Gaza
1: border. Yeah, these tactics were first used in the Gaza Strip by Hamas. Uh, These so-called confusion units, they burn tires, they use laser pointers to, uh, to annoy Jewish residents of the West Bank. Um, they use all sorts of tactics to drive out Jews from these communities. Um, and this is being rewarded by the PA. Uh, a lot of evidence uncovered by Honest Reporting shows that the PA is actively backing these protests. Actually, Fatah officials participated in these riots. And they also, they also transferred almost a million U.S. dollars to the West wow. Bank village of Beita uh, because of these protests, to strengthen their protests.
0: Does this award violate agreements with Israel? Uh, and what repercussions, if any, if any, might we expect to see?
1: Well, I think, uh, I think it's very clear that these, these, the support for terrorism violates the Oslo, Oslo Accords. Uh, in which the PA obviously vowed to apprehend terrorists. And instead of apprehending them and prosecuting them, they're actually rewarding them. Uh,
0: and and uh, again, though, it, would that you know, void certain agreements that Israel and the Palestinian Authority have? You know, what, what sort of consequences might we see, if any?
1: Well, um, this is obviously not the first time that the PA is in violation of the Oslo Accords. There's also, you could talk about the pay-for-slave policy, um, which the media have also misrepresented on many occasions. Um, For example, Honest Reporting pointed out that the Washington Post, uh, earlier this summer, um, whitewashed this pay-for-slave policy, which basically encourages Palestinians to murder Israelis and Jews. Um, But just like this Arafat Prize, there has been no media outrage over the support for terrorism, terrorism whatsoever.
0: All right. now, I- Israel, as I discussed earlier, and and as we've touched upon, is now looking to prevent the Palestinian authorities' collapse by allowing, if not encouraging, more foreign donor investment. Uh, you know, as we know, the investments were cut by by you know tens of percentage points uh, over the last couple of years. How can Israel and donor states ensure that the money that they're spending is being spent well? You know, not not on terror or in support of terror, or violence, or extremist ideologies, uh, especially when you have you know, Fatah and the ruling Palestinian Authority parties actively engaging and, in, in support for, for these acts?
1: Obviously, financial support for the PA is a—it's also in Israel, it's a discussion. However, um, when the PA is rewarding terrorism, Israel has passed a law against, against the pay-for-slave policy. And obviously the law should be upheld.
0: All right, so it's really just a question of you know withholding tax revenues and, and, and punishing them you know financially, but on the other hand, promoting more people to, to fund them
1: that, That's a decision that's up to the Israeli government, but the law the law is clear.
0: Oh. All right. Akiva, thank you so so much for joining us and for your insights
1: into this. Thank issue. you for having me.
0: Now, speaking of Palestinian issues, make sure to check out the latest full episode of Insider only on ILTV+. Plus. This week, we dive into the dangerous and sadly underreported Bidna Naish movement, where residents of Gaza stand tall against terror group Hamas. Can you summarize a little bit more about what the Bidna Naish, or We Want to Live movement, is?
2: Well, first of all, I must say that this is a heartbreaking uh, video because it really, uh, reports or expresses how most of the people in Gaza feel, that they are grounded between Hamas and the situation which Hamas created. They blame Hamas for the fact that they don't have actually life. Bid na we we want to live, means if somebody tells you that he wants to live, means that now he doesn't consider his life uh, worthwhile, and uh, and this is the problem. They have nowhere to go, they have no, no work, they have no future, no, no hope. All
0: right, moving on. Many still disappointed with the results of the UN COP26 climate summit in Glasgow, Scotland. But at least one member of the conference is taking the climate crisis seriously. Israeli Energy Minister Karim el Harar now pushing to cancel the controversial Med-Red pipeline intended to bring Arab Gulf oil to Europe. According to the plan, oil from the United Arab Emirates would be unloaded from tankers in the Red Sea port of Eilat and then transferred across Israel via existing land pipelines. And this before finally heading across the Mediterranean Sea into southern Europe. Organizations involved in the deal, including the Israeli-owned EAPC and the Medred Land Bridge Company, claiming that it's the shortest, most efficient, and most cost-effective route. But environmentalist groups are consistently petitioning against the plan. For one, the companies involved don't have the best track record when it comes to catastrophic spills. And if approved, some 50 tankers would be docking every year in close proximity to Eilat's famous coral reefs. This as opposed to just six on average today. So el Harar is finally joining protests calling to cancel the EAPC agreement altogether and arguing that it poses, quote, many risks to both the Gulf of Eilat and to residents and does not even benefit Israel's energy market, end quote. Finally, as for whether or not the Abraham Accords may be threatened by blowing up the deal, el Harar is relieving concerns, saying that the deal should be viewed as between private companies. So it's not expected to have any real impact on international ties. And other news, a damning and tragic new report now coming out ahead of the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. VISO, or the Women's International Zionist Organization, releasing its year-end study on domestic violence for 2020, and the numbers are abhorrent. Figures showing that some 26 Israeli women were murdered by their partners in 2020, and complaints of domestic violence jumping up by 315 percent since 2019. The data being gathered from government ministries, the state comptroller's office, the Israel police, and the Israel prison services. As for the causes, director of WISO's Division for the Advancement of Women, Rivka Newman, is saying that the spike coming as a direct consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic, and all sectors in Israeli society are feeling the jump. Newman adding that during lockdowns, women and children found themselves stuck inside their homes with an abusive person, no way to go outside, to school, or to work. And meantime, while still paling in comparison in terms of numbers, domestic violence rising against men, too. We're reporting over 1,430 complaints filed by men in 2020, a 43% jump over the previous year. Weezo officials therefore calling on the government to step up as soon as possible, arguing that if a national state of emergency isn't declared, then we have failed as a society, especially as victims will likely later suffer from PTSD as well and will require additional resources. But of course, all that said, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Now that a national state budget has finally been passed for the first time in years, critical funding for HELP programs are set to flow. The only question is whether it'll be enough or too little too late. Now the Jewish Hanukkah festival coming up at the end of this month, and what could be more fitting for celebrating the Maccabean Revolt than an archaeological discovery from the time of the Maccabees themselves?
3: הנועדים לחורבן האדיר שאותירו החשמונאים כנגד היוונים ההלניסטיים אי שם לפני 2100 שנים. אני ניצב ביער לחיש ומבנה מבוצר מהתקופה ההלניסטית. המבנה הזה שמידותיו 15-15 מטרים נבנה בקירות אבים במיוחד שלמעשה הותקם על מנת נאגן על העיר מרשה הסמוכה לנו כנגד בית
0: Biblical stories coming to life right before our very eyes. Israeli archaeological excavators uncovering tangible evidence of the story of Hanukkah in the form of a Hellenistic command post meant to protect the large Greek city of Marisha from the Hasmonean offensive of around 112 BCE. IAA excavation directors explaining, however, that judging by the evidence left behind, the Seleucid defenses were unsuccessful. High school students from a pre-military program as well as from the Education Ministry's Land of Israel Studies and Archaeology program assisting in the excavations, removing thousands of large stones that had collapsed upon the upper part of the building. And beneath that, a half-meter thick layer of building rubble and proof of a battle. The hundreds of discoveries including pottery shards, slingshots, iron weapons, burnt wooden beams, and dozens of coins dating back to the 2nd century BCE. IAA excavation director Sar Ganor explaining that the building's devastation was likely related to the Hasmonean conquest of the late second century before the Common Era.
3: So
0: effectively, this discovery coming as a true Hanukkah miracle. The holiday celebrating the defeat of the Hellenists and the establishment of the first independent and sovereign Jewish state. And IAA General Director Eli Escozido quipping that the Hasmoneans could never have imagined that 2,000 years later, students in the State of Israel would be following in their footsteps. <laughs> And now, for our final story tonight, a new unicorn is born. Israeli blockchain startup Starkware, aiming to make blockchain apps as widespread as apps for your smartphone. And after a recent round of investments, they're valued at $2 billion. But how did this four year old company actually hit this mark, and what comes next? with the answers Starkware co-founders Eli Ben-Sasson and Uri Kolodny Eli Uri thank you so much for joining us today uh, you know how are you feeling are you excited very much so All right, so what you know what explain to me you know what what are you aiming for exactly in making blockchain apps as widespread as smartphone apps can you explain to me what that means
4: so the blockchain uh, does something marvelous which is change the base of trust and make it more transparent and inclusive, but it operates at a very low speed. If every person on Earth would want to do even one transaction a month on it, it would crash. So what we're doing is offering a technology that works under the same principles, but scales the uh, you know blockchain by uh, exponentially.
0: All right. So you know, could you? You know, could you maybe uh, get a little bit deeper than that for those who are not fluent in blockchain technology and, and, you know, with whom are you working with? Is this with Bitcoin? Is this with all all currencies? You know, uh, get a little bit deeper in this for me.
2: Sure. So we are actually offering a scaling service at the moment over Ethereum, which is uh, one of the two largest uh, blockchains, Bitcoin being the other one. Uh, so think of us as a compression service that uh, allows applications to scale over Ethereum or to scale on Ethereum, um, and this applies to any application, any logic, any any kind of computation that you want to conduct.
0: All right. So if scaling boosts the bandwidth of, of blockchain in order to improve user experience, you know, then what other benefits can can be derived from uh, your technology and from you know the app?
4: So, um you know a technology if it if it isn't widely available for everyone to use, then it's not as efficient. There are certain things that can come only once you overcome a certain threshold. So, you know uh, Books uh, were copied by hand for for millennia, uh, but with the uh, you know printing press, suddenly just this scale factor uh, made a big difference in uh, the the evolution of history. And you know the App Store, the ability, or the iPhone, the ability to actually have uh, a multitude of uh, applications on a smartphone made a big difference. Likewise, our scaling technology will make blockchains from something that can only used by very few to something that is available to any person on Earth, and we expect that to be a big transformative moment.
0: And I also understand that using your technology, you've partnered with a couple of other companies uh, to make you know, blockchain and, and certain other transactions, things like that, more carbon-friendly or carbon-neutral. How, how does that work?
2: Well, this computer service basically could be thought of as a means of reducing the carbon footprint uh, per transaction. Uh, and so for two exchanges that we're working with today, uh, one is called Immutable X, the other is called Surare. uh, We've reduced the carbon footprint of uh, their NFTs, the NF- non-fungible tokens that they're minting, mm. by a factor of 20,000. Wow. So a very substantial reduction. And, and, and we're not done yet, by y- the way. This is by no means the end of the story. Yeah.
0: Well, so what comes next?
2: Well, it, it could be reduced further.
0: Oh, I see. okay. So, all right. So, with, with Jerusalem now, I want to talk a little bit a, a little bit about policy that that might affect you. With Jerusalem cracking down on Bitcoin trading, how do you see the future of cryptocurrency? You know, in Israel, could Ethereum or another coin using your technology be the potential next coin that will finally replace the current systems of payment?
2: So as, as we see it, uh, there is uh, this very new and exciting technology with profound implications for society and for the economy. Uh, and it's it's growing at this astonishing pace over the past decade. And regulators are working hard to catch up uh, and to sort of um, offer the clarity, um, the god, Needed for entrepreneurs for more places uh, to operate in a uh, regulatory compliant and sensible fashion. So we forward to, to operating in such an environment in Israel and abroad.
0: Oh, and then I and I know you you said that you were working on NFTs and you were working with with Ethereum. Uh, you know, are there other are, are there other top coins or or, uh, or you know uh, uh, currencies that you're that you're maybe interested in working with, or it works for everything.
4: So um, first it works for it's a technology that can be applied on top of any blockchain. And currently it's on top of Ethereum, but looking you know a few years into the future, it will definitely appear on Bitcoin and other leading uh, coins and chains. Uh, more importantly, uh, uh, the funding and the valuation of this round is uh, pegged around um, our new product uh, that is released, uh, going to be released by the end of this month called StarkNet, which, like Ethereum, allows anyone to write a smart contract using our exponentially scalable technology and run it on the blockchain. So. Um, you know, we'll see a multitude of new applications, gaming, NFTs, uh, um, you know, generative art and things like that, that are going to be running on this new product that we're very excited about.
0: Incredible. And and now, I guess my final question is, you know, with Israel being this startup nation, big focus on high tech, uh, and I know that there's been employment issues with, with high tech in Israel recently that, that we've covered on this show before, but I'm not going to get into that. My point is that you now have a $2 billion valuation. You're coming up with StarkNet uh, very soon and you're, you're likely set to expand, no? You know, what are your plans for expansion in Israel or abroad?
2: Well, we're trying to hire, uh, we have been trying to hire from day one, uh, the best and most talented people we come across. It's a very competitive landscape. Mm. Uh, and so we're happy to compete and, and try and convince folks uh, that what we're doing is is really different and is very novel and exciting. And it's the kind of stuff you know that we're going to sit uh, with our grandkids one day and say, you know, we were there when the whole thing just took off. And in, f- in fact, you know, we were front and center in that particular show. So that's that's something uh, exciting to look forward to.
0: Uh, all right, Eli Uri, it, it has been a pleasure to have you guys with us uh, from Starkware. Thank you so so Thank much you. for joining us.
2: Thanks, thanks, thanks for having us.
0: All right, now let's take a look at the weather forecast. You can expect perfect sunny weather in southern Eilat this week with a lovely low tonight of 18 degrees Celsius, then tomorrow's high reaching 29 degrees Celsius, but as for the rest of the country, meteorologists are predicting partly cloudy skies with lows tonight in the mid to low teens, and highs on Wednesday in the mid-20s. And now before we go, let's take a look at what's going viral here in Israel. I think I have a feeling where this is going. (laughs) Yeah, so this is Israeli comedian Tom Malkovich being hilarious. (laughs) The music really sells it, I think. (laughs) All right, that is it for today's news. But for more of the latest updates from Israel, make sure to head to ILTV.TV or to an app store and subscribe to our newsletter as well as to our new streaming platform, ILTV+. Plus. It's available on all devices and on Roku and Amazon Fire TV. I'm Aaron Porras. Be well, and thank you so, so much for watching.